Welcome to The Naked Truth. Peace to you. It's Saturday night, early Sunday morning. So let's pick up where we left off. We're in the book of Matthew, starting the Gospels again. And it's the first book in the New Testament, just in case it's all new to you. And we're going to pick up at chapter 2. That's where we left off. So without further ado, we're going to start with verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So Jesus has been born to Joseph and Mary. And um, and um, so that's where we're at. And now wise men, they, they say the three magi, as they're called, are magicians or people who practice a different religion. Because Christianity hadn't been established at this point. Um, neither had Islam or other uh, world religions besides Judaism at that point. So, and remember, Jesus was Jewish, just in case you didn't realize that. Um, so the wise men are a different religion, and they they but they followed different prophecies that have led them there too, for to show up in God's big picture at this moment, saying, "Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we have heard, we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him." So they are following astrology, astronomy. They're looking at the stars as part of their uh, ritual of uh, faith. And um, apparently the prophecies they had in their religion led them to uh, where Jesus was born, Bethlehem, um, by following the different stars and signs they saw in the sky, which um, goes back to Genesis, the very first chapter that that's what the heavenly bodies are for, for signs and seasons. Uh, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was in trouble and all Jerusalem with him. So the governmental authority is troubled by the the news or the possibility that a new king, a new kingdom, a new uh, order is at hand because he's used to having the order and the power. Verse 4, and when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he's gathering the religious leaders and the scribes. The scribes would be sort of like the media of nowadays, of modern times. Of They scribe or write down the different things that are going on, particularly when they relate to their religion. Sort of like the different signs that correlate to some of the prophecies. So they have different things from the old, what we call the Old Testament prophecies from the Old Testament that give them an idea of when and where the uh, Christ, the Messiah, the new king was to be born. So that's who he's consulting with. Just like how we read in the Old Testament when the Pharaoh consults with the magicians, um, that's what they do. They're consulting with the people who would know on a spiritual level what's going on. Verse 5, so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. So the wise men, not the wise men, actually I guess it is the wise men. Well, no, it's the chief priests and scribes who know this prophecy. And are going to, in verse 6, which is what we're going to read now, is um, what they're reflecting on from their um, religion to the different signs. Like I was saying, that they have to look forward to, to know the time and season when Messiah Christ Jesus would come. So verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they're reflecting back on that as part of their um, belief system 
to let them know Bethlehem is the place where the ruler, the king, the king of the Jews, as he'll be crucified, the title over his, over his cross, over him when he gets crucified, is as that, that he's the king of the Jews, as in the king of, from the Jews. Um, uh, let's see. And that that's who that prophecy is pertaining to. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. So he's consulted with his own chief priests and scribes. Now he's called the wise men who've come from the east, and it's not clear where the east is. I mean, it could be India, it could be China, Asia, it could be Russia. It's no telling. It's just from the east. Um, but that's who, who's appeared, and um, that's who he's questioning. Uh, let's see. Verse 8, and he's trying to figure out when the star appeared so he can pinpoint the age. He's already got the location, Bethlehem, so now he's trying to pinpoint the age of about how old the child would be at this point. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. So he's saying, oh, Go look for him, go find him. When you do, let me know when you find him. And he's saying so he can worship too. But we we know how this turns out. It's not so he can worship him too. It's so he can wipe him out and keep it from getting to that point. And now that I think about it, it sort of reminds me of when we read in Revelation that a woman bore a child and the dragon sought to destroy the child. But it uh, she was put away in safety for, I think, 1,000 plus days. And the child was caught up to God to safety from the dragon even though he spit out a uh a, a storm to um a, a, a was it a storm a tidal wave i guess to sweep her and the child away um so it kind of makes me think that maybe that's what that was referring to here that um jesus was swept away in safety from the what's going to happen next um by order of the king uh but maybe not just saying it's kind of it reminds me of that um, so anyway, they've um, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So imagine that, being guided by a star, literally leading you to the place where you're trying to go. It's like GPS, but from the sky. And they followed it and were faithful to it, and it got them there. So their religion apparently has validity, even though it's not one of the main religions of modern times yet it worked it got them just where they were and it was it was accurate about um its prophecy verse 10 when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy so of course the star appears to them and guides them to where they're going to write to where jesus was which is what they were looking for verse 11 and when they had come into the house they saw the young child with mary's mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So that's probably why it's there known as the three magi, because there's three gifts given. But it's not necessarily the case. It could have been more than three. It could have been only two. It could have been, I don't think it makes it clear how many of them there are. But the gifts that they brought, um, just to focus on them, gold seems to go with riches and um, majesty, you know, people with money. Frankincense, that's sort of um, the religious gift um, to show sort of his, and the myrrh also, to show uh, his religious and spiritual um, magnificence, I guess would be the word. So those are the things they're presenting to the, what are 
called the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. So it lets us also know that they may have been in a manger when he was born. They um, may have been um, poor at that point, but at the very least, they have these gifts because although frankincense and myrrh are relatively cheap now, they, just like salt used to be, uh, were a commodity, a high-priced commodity, were valuable back then. Uh, verse 12, that just, again, shows how things can change over time. Verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own for their own country another way. So, again, they're not from the same area. They come from a different country, from uh, east of where all of this is happening, which we'd call the Holy Land in modern times, Palestine or Israel, all the same area. Um, uh, but so they're not from there. They're from somewhere else east of there. And now they've also been divinely contacted in a dream, just like we've seen other people in the Old Testament and even Joseph being warned and Mary being visited in dreams by the supernatural with prophecies about what they're facing and what's to come, sort of warning them and guiding them. And even you see the wise men got the same sort of guiding communication in their dreams. Uh, verse 13. Um, one other thing, they departed to the country another way, meaning they didn't go back and report to the governmental authorities. So it seems to me that's an example of when you have to choose between what your job tells you, say your government tells you, and what is actually righteous. Because a lot of governments aren't righteous. Think of the American government, for example. If you've ever read, or I'm reading it now, the 1619 Project, but other American history, you'll see the country is actually quite scandalous. It claims to be a Christian nation. Many of its actions, especially regarding black people, but for sure non-white people, are downright horrible. There's evil, wicked. There's no other way really to describe it um, that are completely ungodly ways. So you, you could follow your government and let that be your, what you consider your righteousness. Or you can follow the your, the truth, the gospel, the light in your own heart of what you know is right and wrong in God's eyes and let that be your guide. They chose to let their spiritual laws be their guide rather than the governmental order that was given them. And that's not to say that these clowns who protest uh, mask wearing and all of that are um, righteous, but it is an example of people disregarding the law um, in favor of what their conscience tells them. And in some cases, I don't really believe it's their conscience. And I, and I believe what it is, is they're flexing their privilege because you can see it now what's happening at the border of America and Canada with the lanes being shut down, traffic lanes being shut down for days now, uh, transport and goods being shut down by truckers now uh, for days now and being allowed to continue by not just the American government, but also the Canadian government. And at the root of that all is white supremacy because black people in some cases can't sleep in their own beds without getting shot by the governmental authorities, can't protest without being attacked by the governmental authorities. And it's nothing new. If you look back to the 60s in American history, black people protesting for civil rights, attacked, uh, beaten, have dogs sicked on them, water, uh, water, uh, high pressure water hoses turned on them just for peacefully protesting. 
And that's like in an instant that the authorities show up with all of that, the batons and the beatings. Whereas people now, from January 6th to what's happening in the Canadian border, know that the law is not going to treat them the same way, that they are, they do have a privilege just by base, based on their skin color that will allow them to thwart what their government tells them and flex what it is their own conscience tells them, even if their own conscience is ill-informed and really just guided by what someone else told them. For instance, the former president, 45, the lies he told that he hasn't paid any real price for, no apparent price for it, from either party, and still out there giving speeches, spreading lies, and people believe it, and they follow that, and disregard the law, disregard their conscience, disregard common sense, and get away with it. So it gets empowered, and that's where the uh, supremacy comes in. They're empowered to do evil, wicked things just because they know they're protected by the system. Um, so anyway, the wise men did the same thing. They, well, not the same thing. They're disregarding their legal command of the government uh, because they got a direct message from God. Uh, at least that's what this narrative tells us. Verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So there's yet another prophecy and we're only in the second chapter of the New Testament and of this, this, uh, God, uh, this gospel, this book. And it's another prophecy being given a divine supernatural warning given and directions given to people as to what it is they should be doing and where it is they should be going for their own safety. And uh, it's a warning that they're after Jesus's life. Verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. So he didn't wait till an opportune day. He heeded the warning and got on up and got on out with his family and baby Jesus to safety to uh, run for your life basically and look where they're heading to Africa the same place where the uh, people were enslaved in the Old Testament at back at the beginning of the Old Testament now you see at the beginning of the New Testament as we call them they're fleeing to Africa again for safety they fled there for um, provisions for food and sustenance in the Old Testament they fled to Africa um, and then ended up as slaves there at some point along the way but in this case in the new testament now you see the holy family heading to africa for safety and refuge verse 15 and was there until the death of herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the lord through the prophet saying out of egypt i called my son so um the narrator here the person carrying the story forward to us is letting us know that they believe that them going to Egypt, heading to Africa for safety, and then returning from there is the fulfillment of another Old Testament prophecy. Um, and that's what they're quoting there, out of Egypt I called my son. So um, they believe in them doing that, they're fulfilling that prophecy also. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem, and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So he sees that the wise men weren't obedient 
and following his governmental command and coming back and reporting the whereabouts of Jesus. So he's enraged and he goes forward and um, slaughters all the little kids. And it says from two years and old and under, that gives us an idea of how much time passed between the manger, Jesus being born in the manger, and the point of, uh, and this point of the wise men crossing the, 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 the governor, the Caesar of that area, the, the, the um, Herod, uh, them crossing him, it's been about two years. And then there's another thing that we went over when we read this gospel, when we read the gospels before. If you do a search of these different people, say Herod and Pilate and um, some of the other people, but Quinarius, they're going to go through a list of other names. If you do like a Wikipedia or a search for those different names, you'll see that the timeline they lay out goes back beyond uh, 1 AD. It goes back before uh, the time change from BC to AD. Some of those people had already lived and died before then, at least by historical record. So that lets us know that what we have is just what we have to go by. It doesn't make it 100% accurate. It just makes it the lasting record of what's uh, endured. And it also lets us know that maybe those times that we have set as 1 BC, 0 and then 1 AD, that whole time period is not set in stone. We weren't around 2,000 years ago, so we don't know exactly when those dates were and what um, dates they actually correlate to. But there are our best estimate over time as to when they were. But if you check those out, you'll see some of these people, according to the other sources, were already gone by the time this is saying that Jesus was born. So just keep that in mind. I keep that in mind when it comes to... Um, the different events we're reading about here. Verse 17, and was fulfilled, was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, so um, verse 18 is going to say what the prophecy of Jeremiah, that's an Old Testament prophet um, who also apparently pointed to Christ, the Messiah coming and the different events surrounding it. So the narrator here in verse 18, which we're about to read, is saying that they believe this, uh, all these events are the fulfillment of a prophecy that Jeremiah gave in the Old Testament a long time before these events, which the, which the significance of that is, it shows that there's a big picture, there's a higher hand at work for people to be able to see and know that something's going to happen and be able to tell it and document it way before it happens. In the case of Jeremiah, I think it's something like a thousand years or more that he prophesied that um that that day would come and th- here's the prophecy itself verse 18 a voice was heard in rama lamentation weeping and great mourning rachel weeping for her children refusing to be comforted because they are no more so when it's talk the rachel is talking about here is the same rachel that was married to israel slash jacob in the old testament she passed away but before she passed away she had joseph who was uh, betrayed by his brothers and sold as a slave into Egypt. That's the the first rescue story we were reading about um, that I was referring to earlier when the people went to Egypt, went to Africa for safety. Uh, That's the same Rachel that was the mother of Benjamin and Joseph. So Joseph was the one sold into slavery. Benjamin is the one she bore, gave birth to, and passed away during the birth process. Um, it's that same Rachel. So we know we're not talking about 
that same Rachel Prime, but it's talking about the people of Rachel, the descendants of Rachel, the area, the Benjamin, Bethlehem, that's the same area. Those people, that's what it's talking about, being in mourning and in tears and crying out because their children were being slaughtered. And the way that Jeremiah, and this is the way Jeremiah documented it in his prophecy, that it's the people, Rachel, crying because their children are no more because they are being massacred. It's called the Massacre of the Innocents. I think it's the title that a lot of Bibles put over it. Um, verse 19. And you can imagine that. Uh, all those kids, two years old and under, whether they were born there or not, immigrated there or not, whether they um, meet the prophecy or not, just by the fact that they were born around that time was enough for the government, for, for, the, the, for Herod to say, take them out too, just in case they're that king who's prophesied who's going to rise up and replace him. Verse 19, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So you have another vision during the dream. You have another visitation during the dream of the supernatural um, making contact with people for a reason. Verse 20, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. So now it's giving them not only, uh, not so much a warning, but more like direction and guidance to let them know the people you fear, the situation you were rescued from or and avoiding is over. That page has turned. Don't worry about that anymore. Now pick up and go where I tell you, like that song we've learned as kids, children go where I send you. Now they're sending the Holy Family back to the land of Israel and up out of Africa. Uh, verse 21, and letting them know that the ones who are looking for them are dead. So it's, they didn't have, as far as we know, news broadcasts back then or newspapers back then. They had the scribes who would document different things during the times. But that wasn't being circulated in a form of a periodical. So if they get news like that, that he's dead, uh, the people chasing them are dead, their pursuers are dead. Then if they go back to land Israel and find out, oh, he is dead, then that's more affirmation, affirmation for their faith to know that they are being guided rightly and divinely. Verse, I would think, verse 21, then he arose, took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. So he's being obedient to the guidance he received in the dream and taking his family back. Verse 22, but when Herod, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in the dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. So he uh, was obedient in doing what he was told to do in returning to the general area, but then fear stepped in, and it seems God showed him some grace by giving him yet another dream and another path to take, or at least another option to take on that same path, allowing them to go to turn aside to a different region of the same area, Galilee. Verse 23, after he came and dwelt in a, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called Nazarene. So um, that's the, the narrator reflecting back on another Old Testament passage that they believe correlates to these events, that they believe these events fulfill the prophecy of that Old Testament pro uh, passage 
of him being called the Nazarene, of the Savior being called the Nazarene, of the Savior being identified with a certain area. And we know Jesus of Nazareth is another name that Jesus Christ is known by historically because he was in that area. And that actually ends this reading. I know it was pretty quick. We get through the ones without any gospel teachings, no red letters in them pretty quickly. Um, as they're really just giving us the narrative, catching us up, telling us what was going on at the time. I hope this reading was a blessing for you, and I hope you'll join me again. Um, we have our readings on Mondays and Wednesdays where we do the Old Testament, and we have these Saturday night, uh, Sunday morning readings where we focus on the Gospels. That would be those red letters that, as it turns out, only appear in sixth out of the 60-plus books of the Bible. Only a tenth, a tithe of the entire Bible has anything that Jesus even said in it. And in and of those six, one of those six only has one chapter that has only a few verses of what Jesus said. All of the rest of the Bible are other religions talking about other deities, other entities identified as God, other religions, and other ways to worship. So you have a smorgasbord of uh, choices of what you want to choose, what you want to believe is the truth. As for me, I'm a Christian, self-identified as a Christian. So um, that's what I lean in on, and that's what we focus on on these Saturday night readings. The Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of the Acts, that first chapter, <coughs> excuse me, and the book of Revelation. All of the rest of the Bible are other religions, which you're free to believe, but if you try to follow them and try to follow what Jesus says, and abide by and live by both, you're going to run into confusion and contradiction. It's completely unavoidable because the things Jesus says don't align with a lot of the things Jesus says don't align with much of the Old Testament and absolutely not much of the New Testament. But it is a free will choice that you have to make, just like all the other paths we take in life. We have a choice. You can do choose the right path. You can choose the wrong path, but it is a choice. And I think that's the choice. That choice is what God likes to watch and see. Like a favorite movie, like a favorite video game, likes to see. And that's the one thing, according to Jesus' parables, that the one who plants the seeds doesn't know. Doesn't know how people are going to turn out because the earth yields crops by itself. The world does its own thing to people where we choose different ways. And it seems that that's the entertaining part of what God likes to see. Uh, in the choices we make day to day. At least it seems to me that way. So um, that ends this reading. I hope you'll join me again. And I hope in the meantime, you'll stay safe. You can see past readings while they last on this platform while it lasts. Or if you're an adult, you can go to my website, that platform, and see the past readings there. It's hungtgirl.com. You can find out about me, body, mind, spirit, and soul. The spirit and soul page is focusing on uh, what we do here on The Naked Truth. Meantime, feel free to get a membership. That helps me. Uh, check out the free stuff. That helps me. Make a donation. That also helps me. But even if you just enjoy the free content, uh, like clicking on the pictures, those are actually videos, or um, or um, any other part of the site, just to join it. I appreciate that, and thank you for that, and God bless you for that. I hope you'll join me again. In the meantime, stay safe. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. That's loving your neighbor, right? Stay safe. Thanks again and peace and blessings to you. See you next time.